Today's podcast is sponsored by The New Yorker, an iconic magazine that represents the best writing in America today. I've subscribed to The New Yorker for years and I buy it primarily for its long-form writing, which is unmatched. If you've never read David Gran or Catherine Schultz before, it's worth getting a subscription just for them. But beyond publishing the best writers in the world, it also holds people in power accountable through rigorous reporting and compelling storytelling. So to get the best writing anywhere, everywhere, I get home delivery of the print edition each week and the digital version of the magazine is available on my iPad. You can also get it on your iPhone, Nook and Kindle. So don't wait. Go to newyorker.com forward slash DMT. Listeners to Dead Man Talking save 50% when they enter code DMT. And with this special offer, you'll receive 12 issues for just $6 plus get the exclusive New Yorker tote bag. You can choose between print, digital, or a combo of both print and digital subscriptions. Subscribe to The New Yorker and read something that means something. That's 12 issues for $6 and a free tote bag when you go to newyorker.com forward slash DMT. DMT Media and Audio Boom. This is the Dead Man Talking podcast with me, Alex Hannaford. The reason I don't I don't blame myself yeah. is because I don't have the evidence in my mind. Okay. If I if I can remember like this case, I don't remember everything. Right. But I have enough to blame myself because because of the things I recall. In the last episode, I met Andres Mascaro, the former lover of Diamantina Colahaco who, like her, is serving a life sentence for murder, a murder that Angel Resendiz claims he committed. I also learned the evidence from the crime scene is no longer in the possession of Harris County District Attorney's Office, so the most obvious way of exonerating them could be gone. I've wanted to speak to the lawyers for Andres and Diamantina to try to get to the bottom of why they say they falsely confessed to the murder. There were a number of them, from their original trials to their appeals, and I wasn't having much luck. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Oh, hi. A message for Bill. This is Alex. I tried Bill Gifford, Uh, Diamantina's trial attorney. Oh, hi. Is Cruz Cervantes there, please? Cruz Cervantes, Andres' appeals attorney. He's not in right now. Can I take a message for him? Yeah, um, I'd be grateful if he can call me back. My name's Alex Hannaford. Um, Vic Wisner, who was the district attorney that prosecuted both Diamantina and Andres. At the tone, please record your message. Hi, Vic. This is Alex Hannaford again. Um, I don't know if you've been getting my messages. I'd, I'd really like to speak to you. Henry Burkholder, who was Diamantina's appellate attorney. Hello? Who did oh, pick hey, up. Uh, Henry. If I can just stop you. But wouldn't talk. I would not feel comfortable telling you basically anything I know about this case. Okay. About her. Right. Then after trying him many times, Bill Gifford did pick up. Hello? Oh, hi. Is that Bill? Yeah. Hey, Bill, this is Alex Hannaford. I'm the, uh, the British journalist that's been calling you about the Diamantina Colahaco case. Okay. I filled him in on the podcast, podcast series and resented his confessions to me. I also told him what Andres had told me about his confession. He said the police, the detectives, had, had basically threatened to deport his family, who were also in uh, undocumented and living in Texas. 
I wouldn't be surprised, but when he did sign it, he said, well, is that going to help her or is that going to hurt her? Talking about Diamantina. See, they, they didn't have anything to link him to them. There's no blood, no hair, no anything. So as I thought, there was nothing to link Andres to Daryl's murder except his confession. This was useful information, but I wasn't expecting what came next. Bill began to tell me about the Resendez connection to the crime. Did he tell you the reason he made the confession is because the preacher went up there and told him to? I didn't know that. What do you, what do you mean by that? What I'm saying is there was a guy in the... A preacher kind of guy that had to go into the jail. Went to Resendez and said, you're going to die anyway. Go ahead and say that you had something to do with the Colo Jacko killing. Said, sure, I'll do it. Who was the Who was the preacher, Bill? He was a layman kind of preacher. He wasn't just a full preacher, but he's a guy that had access in and out of the jail. Do you have a name? No, I really don't. Uh, he's a heavy set guy. He talked to Diamantina, then he went over and, and my understanding is he got Resendez to say, yeah, he went over and killed Cola Jackal. Yeah, that's my understanding. That's what I heard. But I just heard it. I don't know it to be true or anything. So. That's really surprising. Oh my God. I just, I had no, I've never heard that before. Um, and that, you know, if true, would explain how Resendez knew the specifics. Um, and if that's the case, then, you know, Diamantina and Mascara were lying to me and Resendez was lying because this spiritual advisor had told him to. I mean, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice maintain a list of people with access to death row. Now, whether that list is still available from back in whenever Resendez started making this confession, I have no idea. I would doubt it is, but I can certainly try and find out. I got in touch with the public information office at the same department that had organised my interviews with Diamantina and Andres, and I received a short reply. Visitation lists are not available to the public. So there's no way of me knowing for sure if a lay preacher did visit Resendez in this time period, even less a way of confirming the rumour that Bill Gifford had heard that Resendez took the flak for Daryl's murder on the preacher's request. There's not a lot I can do with that right now. Bill heard it third hand and it doesn't feel right to me but while I can't totally discount it it's impossible to verify At this point in the Dead Man Talking podcast, you may have already made up your mind whether you think Resendez was telling me the truth about Daryl's murder. Possibly what Bill Gifford has just said has influenced this. And you've probably decided whether he committed the three or four murders in Blythe, California that we heard about in an earlier episode. But we're going to pause for a minute because I have a confession of my own. Early in my research, I came across a murder case that profoundly influenced what I thought about Resendez and the confessions that he made to me. 
It's also why I'm not particularly moved by the rumour that Bill said he'd heard. I wanted to leave it till now to tell you about it because I didn't want it to colour what you thought. But I think now's the time that you heard it too. Hello? Hey Bill, it's Alex Hannaford. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for speaking to me. Sure. Bill Torpy is a journalist with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Yeah, yeah. So uh, is the quality okay that what I'm talking now? It sounds good. So Yeah. I wanted to talk to Bill because he covered a murder case that happened in December 1998, one which has a dramatic impact on my own investigation. So here we go. The story begins in Barrow County, Georgia. Barrow County is rural. Uh, it's kind of an old-time Georgia county. Back in the day, it was like moonshiners and car thieves were from there. There was a circuit called the Dixie Mafia, although you know they really weren't a mafia. They were just you know all kind of freelancers who did their own you know crime. But that's kind of how it was known. This is where 82-year-old Fanny Byers lived. There was a little house on the tracks, kind of lonely. Uh, you know, I think it was like probably, you know, 600 square foot frame house. It was just off by itself. Of course, that's what led to the, her, her demise. She was a retired widow who loved gardening and had just finished yard work when a killer grabbed a pickaxe from her shed and bludgeoned her to death. It was a, a crime of opportunity. She was out there gardening. Her husband had died some years before that. In fact, uh, relatives had wanted her to get away from there and move in with somebody. But she said, you know, I love this place and uh, I'm going to stay here. She liked the garden and just kind of, you know, like the simple, quiet life. And that's what she was doing that day that she died. Nineteen days later, two petty criminals, Stephen Weaver and Elisha Phillips, were arrested. He was a burglar prolific burglar. They had arrested them because it was kind of happenstance. They had this horrible crime and they arrested them, but they really didn't have any solid evidence in the case. The couple were picked up by police as they were trying to pawn stolen goods. Police then saw, huh, they arrested for burglaries around the same time as this murder came. So they kind of got onto them you know, thought, okay, well, this might be our guy. They started questioning him and started questioning her. But Weaver denied he'd killed Fanny Byers. The crazy thing about it was the guy was a talker, you know, and he would just talk. They started talking with him. He put himself on the scene of the case, which, of course, if you put yourself on the scene of a murder and that makes you a suspect, obviously. And of course, he said he didn't do it. He was there. He said that he punched the old lady, which then, of course, then you're like, oh, my God, if you're the police, you're like, oh, this is our guy. It's just a matter of time. Weaver saying that he punched the old lady. I mean, that that to a police officer, not only would they think this must be the guy, but they also must be thinking if a jury hears that, this is going to be cut and dried. Once the person puts himself on the scene, you're done. Then they found her. They tracked her down, I guess, in Texas. She was visiting somebody and they uh, went out and talked to her. De Phillips was shown a picture of the house where Byers lived and said it could well have been one of the ones they burgled. She thought she was talking about a burglary, so she's like, yeah, you got us. Yeah, that looks like the house. And then it starts sinking in on her that they're talking about a murder. And she's like, whoa, wait, wait, you know, we were at that house. He was in there. 
gosh, I that's not the guy I know. You know, I don't imagine he would have killed somebody. Later on, they brought her back to Georgia, and uh, Lieutenant J.J. Pryor brought her to that house. And then she's like, wait, I'd never been here. She just kept saying, no, 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 I, I wasn't here. This isn't the place, you know. Did they ever work out why she would say this wasn't the house, you got it wrong, and Weaver would have said, not only was this the house, but I punched the woman, but I didn't kill her? Well, I I think the elevator didn't go to the top floor with him. (laughs) So, I mean, you start with that. The guy just liked to talk. He was fessing up the stuff. Then the cops got him talking. And once people get talking, they say all sorts of stupid stuff. And once he started down that loop, you kind of built into a story and then he was slip sliding all over. But, you know, once he've already put himself at the scene, you know, you've kind of uh, sealed your fate. Dead Man Talking is made possible through support from Robinhood. Robinhood's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options and cryptos, all commission free. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with confidence. It's really easy to use, and amazingly, there are no commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission. Trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, and track favorite companies with personalized news feed. What's more, there are custom notifications for price movements, so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford or Sprint to help build your portfolio. So sign up at deadman.robinhood.com. That's deadman.robinhood.com. Weaver is in jail, flunks a polygraph, and then he starts talking, saying... Huh, well, I didn't do it. Alicia was there, and she must have done it. She had the axe handle in her head, or pick handle, and he, st- he throws her under the bus. What happened, the cops staged her walking out of the jail while he was there at the window looking at her, screaming it through the bulletproof glass, and he thought that she was ratting him out, so he was going to rat her out. As she later on said, is that, he was a real jealous type. If she wasn't his, then she was going to be nobody. So he was going to just bury her under the jail with his testimony. Basically, the police have these two suspects, but they don't have any evidence. That was the problem they had on it. There was no physical evidence. They didn't have any evidence because neither Weaver nor De Phillips had killed Fanny Byers. So then you go to the Resendez. He uh, fesses up in uh, Texas. Yes, here he is, the railroad killer. And you've probably already worked out that he was involved somehow. On death row in Livingston, Texas, Angel Resendez had confessed to jumping off the train in Georgia and killing an elderly woman. The FBI promptly got on the phone to Georgia Police Lieutenant J.J. Pryor to let him know. So what was it about Resendez's confession that not only made the Georgia detectives listen, they flew into Texas to interview him? Why would they take Resendez's confession seriously? Well, because J.J. Pryor was, there was something in his gut saying that there was something not right with Weaver and uh, Alicia. Mm. Resendez knew details about the crime scene that only the killer would know. Sound familiar? 
when they went to Texas, they didn't ask leading questions. What happened with Weaver was they gave him leading questions and he was latching on to stuff they gave him and he parroted it back to him. And they showed pictures of the house and of the the lady. He was able to concoct his crazy tale. They kind of learned a lesson then. So when they went to Texas to talk to Resendez, they just let him talk. They didn't give him information. They asked about the house and he told them about the Bible that she had. And, mm. and in fact, Lieutenant Pryor tried to trip him up and said, okay, then he had to jump over the fence to get into her house. And he goes, no, there was no fence. And they knew, I think then, that it was true because there was no fence. Wow. He was feeding them a piece of bogus information and the guy didn't bite. Authorities dropped the murder charges and sentenced the Phillips and Weaver to prison for the burglaries instead. The police were uh, pretty, they, they totally believed Resendez did that just because of his knowledge and description of the house and, and the victim without really any prompting. Resendez was charged with the buyer's murder, but it didn't go to trial. He was executed in Texas before that could happen. Thanks again, Bill. Send me an email when it's uh, put together. I will. I'd like to listen to it. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. By now, you've probably worked out why this case is so important. It sounds a lot like the Colahaco case. Two people are picked up for a brutal murder. They're charged with the offence, and then Resendez confesses. The only difference is that in the Colahaco case, Diamantina and Andres are still in prison. I started looking for Stephen Weaver. I really wanted to speak to him to find out what it felt like to be charged with a murder that Resendez later confessed to. I found out that Weaver was still in prison for a bail violation related to a number of burglaries. The Georgia Department of Corrections rejected my request to interview Weaver, either on the phone or in person. In the end, I had to resort to writing to him. I've got Weaver's emails here. In the first one, he wrote, Hello, Alex. I just wanted to make contact. I'm going to send you a follow-up email and I will tell you all I can. But I can tell you this. Everybody investigating my case, they knew I was innocent, and they didn't care somebody had to take the fall. I'm curious, has anybody else ever been accused or convicted of Unhell's crimes? He surely killed many, but he saved my life. A week later, he wrote, I was told by my attorneys that I only got cleared because of a Bible that Unhell took from Fanny Byer's house. The district attorney's name was Tim Madison. My lawyers at the time told me he had been the DA for 25 years and evidence, or not, the community would believe him. Weaver then wrote, My understanding is that Unhell just came through Auburn, Georgia. On the train. We really need to speak, Alex. There was much falsified evidence. The lies. Stuff fabricated. How Unhell confessed the Texas Rangers in detail. How the Texas Rangers brought my entire case to light. How they made Georgia admit it was wrong. Unhell's confession. Things only the killer could have known. Unhell saved my life. And I'm sure everything that he confessed to, he did. The woman in Texas with the life sentence, she is innocent. I'm sure of it. We gotta bring it to light. These prosecutors, detectives, sheriffs, everywhere, they're all corrupt. They don't care if innocent people are convicted or not, as long as they look good. Weaver said that his lawyer told him to plead guilty because the DA would get them a death sentence if not. 
Around this time, I saw a newspaper article about a Mexican man being sought for. He says the details of the crimes this person had carried out were similar to the Fanny Byers murder. So as soon as I got back to Barrow County, I sent a letter to the investigators. He said, we got who we want. I'm now almost in tears. I can't get no help. My family can't get anybody to stand up for me. Everybody knows I'm innocent, and I'm about to die for something I didn't do. So this was amazing. They had a, a confession from Resendez, and it sounded like initially the authorities weren't interested. We've got the guy we want, and we're not going to do anything about this. But things were about to change when the Texas Rangers got involved and Resendez's confession to the crime was finally taken seriously. Three months later, about five guards came to my cell, snatched me up, handcuffed me and escorted me out back into a patrol car. I will never forget that day. I'm in the back seat and as we were leaving the officer driving said, Weaver, you want to smoke? You deserve it. Today he said, I'm ashamed of where I work. I can't believe the county I work for is so scandalous and crooked. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you haven't heard? A Mexican serial killer confessed in detail to the buyer's murder. We are on our way to the courthouse and the media is everywhere. They are dropping the murder charges. I could only start to cry. It's horrific to think that two people could have been executed or serve life in prison for the murder of an elderly woman that they had absolutely nothing to do with. But the authorities finally realized that they had the wrong people before it was too late. So what about Diamantina Colajaco and Andres Mascaro? The Byers case is eerily similar. It baffles me why authorities eventually took Resendez's confession seriously in Georgia, but not in Houston. When I found this out, it made me even more keen to follow up on Resendez's confession. Maybe this story has changed the way that you view the Colajaco case specifically and Resendez's confessions to me more generally. Dead Man Talking is brought to you by Vistaprint. I decided not to leave my holiday cards to the last minute this year, and so I went to Vistaprint to order custom cards, and it was so easy to make something that I know my friends and family will love to get. I found a great-looking card, uploaded a photo of my dog, Scruff, wearing a Santa hat, and added some text and clicked to check out. It's that simple. No matter where you'll be this holiday season, whether it's skiing the slopes, basking on beaches, or hunkering down at home with your loved ones, nothing says happy holidays like custom cards, calendars, and photo gifts from Vistaprint. When you open a card or a calendar and see your friends and family smiling back at you, or in my case, Scruff, my dog, it also feels like the person cares because they took the time to make it special. You can choose from square or rounded corners, folded or flat, and then select one of Vistaprint's great designs. You can put your favourite picture on most of them and even upload a great shot right from your phone. Figure out how many you need and order them up in plenty of time for the holidays. So get merry, get jolly, get 50% off all holiday cards and calendars, plus save on other photo gifts at vistaprint.com. Just enter promo code DMTHOLIDAY. That's vistaprint.com, promo code DMTHOLIDAY. And the offer's valid until January the 31st, 2019. So I've mentioned before about the Dead Man Talking Facebook page. It's been brilliant that so many of you have been leaving thoughts on the podcast, but also 
helping to actually move the story on. We've had help identifying where Magnolia was, as you heard, and also incredibly from people who knew Resendiz. But this week, someone contacted me through it with a particular interest in the investigation. I, I kept scrolling through and then it took me to the Facebook page for the podcast. It's really weird that it showed, you know, this person posted 12 hours ago talking about my uncle. And I was just like, you know, what what's going on? And, you know, I went to the Facebook page. I think it was you have to like send a request to get accepted into it. A- so that's funny. So I got your friend request. And of course, I immediately saw the last name and thought, oh, my God, you know, I want it, it must be must be a relative. I thought you might message me then. So this is incredible. This is Jennifer Mascaro from Houston, who happens to be the niece of Andres Mascaro. By chance, she'd been researching Andres's court documents online to show her godmother and Dead Man Talking came up, specifically episode seven, which featured her uncle. I'm guessing you've since listened to the podcast. Uh, well, I heard the first one, which was the Colojaco case one. That was the one with the interview with Diamantina. Mm. So it was kind of like, I don't know, it was just a really weird feeling when I heard it because we never really knew everything that happened. And in a way, like just listening to her talk about it, it was kind of like just reassuring everything that I knew about the whole case. Then, you know, I heard my uncles as well and everything like coincided my uncle's voice like he's talking here and I'm like look like it's her voice like she's talking here it's so weird and tell me one of the things Andres told me is that one of the reasons he signed confessing to the murder was that the detectives had essentially said to him if you don't sign this piece of paper we're going to deport the rest of your family now he said that at the time there was a number of um, siblings in the US, in Texas at the time, who were undocumented like him. And so he knew there was a very real possibility that they would be deported if he didn't sign this piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Yeah, that that's something that I didn't know about. Whenever my dad heard it, you know, he said, yeah, that, that's true. Like, um, that's why he signed it. He told us, I didn't do it, but I'm doing this as a favor to you guys. Like, I don't want anything to happen. The big reasons that I think, you know, like my uncle was kind of afraid was my dad had just started his family. This happened in 98. I was born in 96. Oh, wow. He knew that there was like a lot of stake for us. And then, you know, his other brothers, like everything they had sacrificed. I understand, you know, being in that position, he could have been like just so afraid. And maybe he didn't think that. He would go to jail for so long. Mm. I think he thought it was something like very minimal. Like maybe I'm just going to go to jail for like a year and I'll be out. Everything's going to be okay. Andres has been in prison 20 years. And, you know, from my interview with him, he, he said the language barrier has been a big reason why he hasn't sort of pursued his, his case. It's true. The language barrier. I mean, whenever I was 12, 13, 14, I could have translated something for him, but it wasn't going to be that much of a help. Like he needed somebody to be there at the prison or somebody to go out and find him help. Like in other ways, something that I couldn't do like at that age. Another reason I just, you know, I think after so long, I always just have a feeling that he just kind of gave up on things. 
it's you know it's discouraging to him i think i also wondered whether one of the reasons he hadn't really tried to get help was because he knew that your dad was still his status was still at risk i mean he he's still undocumented yeah he still is we're in the process of it but there's nothing approved yet like so do you think that that's one of the reasons why your uncle hasn't pursued it because he doesn't he still doesn't want his brother to be deported i mean i'm pretty sure that's something like in the back of his head like even though you know we can tell him over and over again you know that that's not going to happen i'm pretty sure he still has a fear of it it comes with the fear of what happened then something worse could happen now i've only visited him once yeah i was pretty young like i hardly remember it my dad has never gone just because he's like uh, afraid of going over there they have like a superstition that there's like immigration officers over there. Oh wow. And out of fear, they they don't want to do it. And what about you now? You mentioned on Facebook that you want to try and help him. Ever since I was a little girl, you know, they'd ask me at school, "What do you want to be when you're older?" Well, I want to be a lawyer because I want to help my uncle get out of jail. I would always say that. I've known about it for a long time that we wanted to do something to help him. Just the the time didn't come, you know, the time wasn't right. Me personally, I do want to do anything I can to help him. My parents, you know, are always supportive of it as well. Well, that was amazing talking to Jennifer, uh, if only to corroborate what Andres had told me, this story about his family, that the siblings were indeed undocumented and that he'd always told them Jennifer said that he had confessed because of this threat to deport them. Jennifer also told me that the family had never got involved in any legal sense because they didn't think that they were able to, that there were no avenues for this until Andres was eligible for parole, which isn't for some time. Now she knows that's not the case. And you're going to be hearing a lot more about this in a later episode. Dead Man Talking is a production of DMT Media and Audio Boom. The show is presented by me, Alex Hannaford, and the producer and sound engineer is Peter Sale. Our researcher and production assistant is Connor Tolony, and special thanks this week to Garrett Gray. The band Goodnight Texas are responsible, as you know, for our theme song, The Railroad, and you can check them out at facebook.com forward slash goodnighttexas. Don't forget to follow developments as we mentioned uh, and get involved we love hearing from you read all our messages and try to respond to everything on our own facebook group that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash dead man talking you can tweet us at dead man podcast and email us at dead man talking podcast at outlook.com Run, run.